like to invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be going to Hebrews chapter 4. I'll be reading uh, chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now our brother Dean will bring us this morning's message, uh, Searching for the True God. Let's just bow our heads for a moment and pray. Lord, you've given us these words. O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before you near to the heart of God. Amen. I'd like to continue our series on search for the true God this morning. This is part four. I'm, uh, I'm going to start in a very strange place. You may or may not agree with me. I've had something in my files and library at least for 50 years, and I've never used it. But I pondered all week about using it today, and I've decided to go ahead. So in the framework of our theme of searching for the true God... And also, this is designed to contrast the great controversy between Christ and Satan. Um, today we will attempt to see a new portrait of Jesus. Perhaps the words, seeing him again for the first time, would apply. A young girl wrote these words, and it's apropos to our thoughts and meditation this morning, I believe. A young girl Underline young girl wrote these words. And man saw what he had done. In the end, man had destroyed the atmosphere and the earth. And the earth was without life and empty. And death was upon the face of the earth. And the DDT of man's intelligence scummed upon the face of the waters. And man said, let there be rifles and insecticides and knives and poisons. And there were rifles, insecticides, knives, and poisons. And man used his weapons and his chemicals, and he divided the sick animals from the dead animals, the crippled crops from the silent plants. And man called his action hunting, and his chemicals he called pollution. And the skeletons in the barren fields were overlooked. And man said, let there be factories and empty into the seas, the sewage from his houses and the rivers and the waste from his machines, and it was so. And man ignored the destruction, and man said, let the valleys near the factories be strewn with garbage, all alike. And let the stench of the incinerators fill the atmosphere. And man called the garbage heaps junkyards, and the gray blankets of atmosphere he called smog. And man thought that it was okay and man said, let the chemicals poison the salmon and the crops yielding food be contaminated and the fruit trees yielding fruit suffocate all alike whose seeds would be forever infected in themselves upon the earth. And it was so. And man said, let the hunter eliminate the buffalo, the otter and the whooping crane that inhabit the earth and the blue heron that may fly above the earth in the oxide fumes of the cities. And man continued, saying, Murder and extinguish and banish the fields of his earth, and let wings cease to populate the skies. Let man destroy as he pleases, mankind alike, and let him have power to ruin the deer of the forest and the wheat of the fields, the cattle of the pastures, and every animal or plant that liveth on the earth. And in the end, man left his factories and stopped his machines, and he laid down the weapons and the chemicals which he had used, and he saw what he had done. 
This morning our remarks are dedicated to a little, little child who wrote a letter to the newspaper. And it's also dedicated to a billionaire man who had everything this earth would desire. Their stories will come a little bit later. Today we're going to go through the book of Mark and try to see it again for the first time. I studied it in preparation for this and I was amazed at the things that jumped out at me that I hadn't really focused on before, I hadn't seen. So I saw, a book, I saw the book of Mark again for the first time. Um, we would like to start with some Bible texts. That would be John 14.5. John 14.5, where Jesus has something to say to Thomas and to Philip, by the way, his disciples. Thomas saith unto him, We know not whither thou goest, how can we know the way? Jesus says unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Jesus is saying to us, what's the matter with you, Thomas? You've been with me so long and you didn't know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. In other words, we will be satisfied. Then Jesus had a little thing to say to him too. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not? that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me, Philip, that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Focus, if you would, on some other texts in the great controversy. The first would be Isaiah 14, 12 to 16. We've just heard the words of Jesus about how he and the Father are in tandem. They are together in all that happens. So away with the idea of a angry God and a gentle Jesus. That isn't the case at all, is it? But Isaiah, if we can focus in on Isaiah 14, 12, 12 to 16. He gives us a little insight in the beginning here of the great controversy. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, and didst thou weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Do you hear a familiar word? I, 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 I. Yet thou hast be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake the kingdoms? Is this the little scrawny man over here? Thus says Isaiah. We want to put that now with Revelation 12. 7 to 10. Revelation 12, 7 to 10. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God. You see, here's the first, here's an announcement, an announcement of the cross of Christ and the gospel to save sinners. Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. 
For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. We need to get a picture of what really happened in heaven. It was war, actual war. And Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. Imagine that in paradise of heaven. It's absolutely amazing. But of course, the side of God won. I, I want to then go to our next section about the dedication of these remarks this morning, trying to find the true God and all of this great controversy. Ted Turner, many of you realize, he was the founder of CNN and a billionaire a few times over. He was raised in a Christian home. He had planned to be a missionary. He was a believer until when he was 20, his teenage sister died of a rare form of lupus erythematosus. For five years, Turner says, I prayed 30 minutes every day for God to save her, and he didn't. A kind and loving God wouldn't let my sister suffer so much. At last, he told God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And he went on to the business world to become a billionaire and have everything that this earth could offer. So the sermon this morning is dedicated to this man and everyone like him who's had a similar experience or feels the same. Then more pointly, the letter from a little boy. My school teacher says that God is everywhere, so writes the little boy. Please put this letter in the paper and maybe he'll see it. Dear God, why did you let my brother die? Where he was, when he was hit by the car, my mother prayed to you and she wanted to have her live. But you wouldn't. My little brother was only two years old and he couldn't have sinned so bad that you had to punish him that way. Everyone says you are good and you can do anything you want to do. You could have saved my little brother, but you let him die. You broke my mother's heart. How can I love you? So this morning the remarks are dedicated to the billionaire and everybody like him who's had that experience and the little boy and girl in this true story. So let us now turn to the book of Mark and get a glimpse of our master and our Savior while he was on the earth as we search for the true God. Went through the book of Mark in preparation and a few things jumped out at me that I want to share with you and we're going to mainly read scripture this morning with a, a few minor comments. Let's go first to the chapter 1 and verse 22. You know the book of Mark has more record of miracles than any other Gospels. And it was the first Gospel written somewhere around 50 A.D., which um, was just a few decades after Jesus was on the cross and Jesus went back to heaven. So verse 22 says, And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. So right off, even that 12-year-old boy in the temple where he taught them and they were astonished at that point of his wisdom and his maturity. And the PhDs of the day marveled at his wisdom. Verse 30, 34 of, of chapter 1, And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. Isn't that interesting? The devils knew who this was, and on some occasions they cried out, We know who you are, you son of God. Are you going to torture us before the time has come? They knew they were going to die one day at the end of the white throne scene in Revelation. They were going to die the second death. They knew that. Some of the Pharisees didn't seem to have the same 
concept. Amazing. And let's go to verse 39 of chapter 1. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Once out in Thailand, I had a patient that had leprosy. First time I've ever seen one. It was a, it was a heart-rending experience to know that the medications we have just aren't adequate enough. So it's a death sentence. Kneeling down to him, saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved. Here's one of the first times in Mark we have this word. He was moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him. Was Jesus afraid of leprosy? <laughs> I think not. And saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, Immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. You mean this Jesus can speak a planet into existence, and he can also speak and leprosy is gone? Is that what we're saying here? The leprosy departed, departed from him immediately. So we'll go to chapter 2 and begin to find more insights into what Jesus did when he was here. And again he entered into Capernaum, after some days, and he was, it was noised about that he was in the house. I love the King James. It was noised about that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No room to receive them. Not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Oh, for a tape recorder that would come down to us from those days. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, I remember Maury Vennon emphasizing that over and over again, they, the press, just the word that connotes up in your mind, that you can just picture that, the press. Once we were in Japan, when we were out in the mission field and riding some of those... Um, whatever they call them, they're fast trains anyway, and they go zoom real fast. Boy, are those things crowded, and there is the press. Let me tell you, you can hardly breathe, and you keep your hand on your back pocket in those times. They uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Let's see, so what's most important? What's most important, according to Jesus? But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why did this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? That was the very point. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your hearts? He read their minds. Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed and go to thine own house. And again, immediately, here comes that word again, he rose, took up the bed, and went forth before them, all insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything on this fashion. <laughs> King James again, we never saw anything on this fashion. And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude, here we have a word that we're going to hear over and over again this morning. It gives you a picture of what Jesus was faced with when he walked around the shores of Galilee and the towns at that time. The multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. Again, we say, oh, for a tape recorder. Um, let's go on to um, chapter 3 now. And we're going to start with verse 7. And Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon. They came from all over the place. And a great multitude, here's that word again, when they had heard 
the great things he did came unto him. Verse 10, for he healed many insomuch that they pressed upon him. Here's the press word again. For to touch him as many as had the plagues. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. This is amazing. The unclean spirits, these are fallen angels that were cast out of heaven. And they fell down and said, Thou art the Son of God? When the Pharisees went the opposite direction and said he, he had blasphemy, and he straightway charged them that they should not make him known. I've often pondered, why would he say those words? Why would Jesus say that? The best conclusion I can come up with and reading about it a bit is that he knew what would happen had they gone all over telling everything. They did it anyway. But Jesus had a mission, and he had to accomplish his mission before he went to the cross. Um, now, we're going to go chapter 3 over here to verse... Um, Verse 31, there came, and this is a passage that is just absolutely stunning to me. And let's read it, and then you and I can think about it. Verse 31 onward, there came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without sent in unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And Jesus looked about at them which sat about him and said these eternal words. Behold, my mother and my brethren. As he stretched out his hand, he said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For here's the answer. Who's my mother and my brother? Jesus tells us. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Oh my, he elevates this to an eternal, eternity thing. He elevates this to a kingdom thing, to the eternal life concept, to the fact that we're in a great controversy. And the thing that is most important, just like Jesus in one place said, loving the Lord with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself, these are the greatest commandments of all the ten. Those are the great ones. But here he has, he has a, another concept that just, for human beings, it blows our mind. It says, Whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. He elevates those that are Christians and are born again above our human relationships. I've pondered that over and over again. I'm still trying to understand the depths of that, of those sayings of Jesus. Well, let's go on to chapter 4. And he began to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great, what is it? A great multitude again, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude here's that word again, was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them his doctrine. Then he gave a parable of the sower went out to sow and the seed that was sown. Some fell on stony ground. Some fell by the wayside. Some was scorched by the sun because it had no root. Some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no fruit. But others fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30, some 60, and some 100. And so is the gospel message today as we give the gospel message. And it should be a parable for our own hearts. Am I on the stony ground? Am I, am I in the ground that the sun will come up and scorch the gospel away from me? Am I among thorns that grow up and choke out the gospel message to my own heart. So it has a twofold burden. It has a burden to tell us this parable and the burden as we share the gospel with other people. And he said unto them, He that has ears, here's revelation language here, he that has ears, let him hear. He said that right after this parable. So Jesus is emphasizing, just like in other places he said, verily, verily. 
It's the same idea. This is really important. So he says here, he that hath ears, let him hear what I'm saying. Let's go on to verse um, 23. He repeats this concept. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. So these parables and miracles, Jesus says, are very important that you understand. And verse 33, and with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. So he talked as long as he thought their emotions could handle it and their fidgetiness would handle it. But without a parable, here's an interesting verse, 34. Here it tells us that the Son of God, the commander of the universe that keeps everything going in space and keeps our lives going, everything about everything, and he came to earth and what did he do? He told stories. He told parables. I'm a simple man. I need a story. Sometimes I can't understand the more complex things. I need a story, a parable. Well, Jesus provided that. He said, but without a parable, speak he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. Verse 36. You want to know about multitudes? Here it is again. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. You can get the picture. The ship wasn't very big. The ship was taking on water. And the disciples were frightened out of their mind they were going to die. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep. How does God sleep? In a situation like that, because God has all power. He was asleep in the ship on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto them, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Well, how about Jesus? They were afraid of, afraid of themselves right now. So then he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? <laughs> Isn't this amazing? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Absolutely amazing. When you're down and out, when you're tired, when you wonder if you can go on, when you're wondering, God, how did you let this happen? Read a few of these parables and stories. It will increase your faith. Verse 24, And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And there was a certain woman that had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. I am ashamed of my colleagues back then, you see. They apparently took her money till she had no money. Again, I say I'm ashamed of my colleagues. When she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind, here's the press word again, and touched his garment, for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. What faith is this? And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. Straightway would mean immediately. Here's the immediately word again. And she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing that she was done in her, what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Can you just picture that scene? A trembling woman crying, trembling all over. Well, Lord, I, I touched you because I knew you could heal me. Can you just picture that? And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. And be whole of thy plague. 
While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue house certain which said, Thy father, thy, my daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid. You know, it's a real study in the New Testament to go through the Gospels, pick out every place it says, Fear not, be not afraid, don't be afraid. It's quite a study. Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? Why are you making all this noise? The damsel is not dead, but she sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. They laughed the Savior of the world to scorn. They laughed the one that made planets with the breath of his mouth to storm. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, Peter, James, and John apparently, and in where the, daughter, the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and saith unto her, Telethachmia, that which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway, here's the immediately again, the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. Would you have been? Okay, let's go on to chapter 6, verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Then it goes on to talk about the five loaves and the two fishes and all that happened with that miracle. Let's go to chapter 7. And we'll start with verse 32. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude, here's that word again, put his fingers into his ears, and he put saliva and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, Be opened. And straightway his ears were open, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. Well, let's see. Jesus didn't have a knife to cut that string that kept his tongue down. He just spoke, and it was done. You know, in that, in that society, they believed that some magical potion was available in the saliva. When you read this twice in the scriptures, it talks about Jesus touching the blind man, he made clay with saliva and mud and put it on his eyes. That was what they believed in those days. Um, verse 8 again starts in, In those days the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on this multitude because they've now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Um, the compassion word comes through again and again. Let's go to, to um, chapter 9. We'll start with verse um, 35. And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Just, by the way, just what Jesus did at the Last Supper I heard recently about this concept. It has to do with Jesus' robe of righteousness, which he, which he puts around us if we ask him and are willing. When he went into that supper, he had his robe on. But when he was about to wash the disciples' feet, the scripture says he took off his garment and laid it aside, and he put a towel. So he replaced his righteousness with our earthly towel 
and then he dried their feet in symbolism, thus transferring their dirt onto him for his cross experience. An amazing, amazing concept that I just learned this week. Um, so some same shall be the last of all and the servant of all. And he took a child. Isn't this beautiful? He took a child and set him in the midst of them. When he had taken him in his arms, can't you picture that? Jesus taking a child in his arms. He said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. Oh, here we have the inasmuch again of revelation. Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Jesus said it here. Whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. So now we have him referring to God, the eternal God, not only himself. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we forbid him, because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is for us. Let's go to chapter 10, down at verse 14. And Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, forbid, forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Uh-oh, we need to pause there. Whoever does not have the faith or the assurance of a child as it relates to our God and Jesus will not enter the kingdom of God. And he took them up in his arms and put his hand on them and blessed them. <laughs> then we have the passage of scripture that's um, very profound and very heart-rending. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him, asking him, Good Master, this man kneeled down before Jesus and said, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up thy cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. He traded all of his earthly possessions for eternal life. And Jesus looked around about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And you all know about the eye of the needle. In those days, there was a place where, around the wall of the city by the gate, the camels could just squeak through if they tried hard enough. They had to bow way down low and get through to the inside the city. And that's what it's referring to. When I was a little boy, of course, I pictured in my mind trying to push a camel through the eye of a needle. Um, that, that worried me as a little boy, but I've now understood what it means. Okay. Um, you know, in this, in this scripture passage, it's interesting to me. Jesus didn't run after the man as he turned around and left, waving his arms and shouting at him, Come back, come back, I have more to tell you. He told him what he should do. Then comes the principle, God gives each one of us the power of choice. We can accept it or reject it. This man could have had his name. Remember when Judas went out, was gone, the disciples were missing one. This man, isn't it a tragedy? He could have been that disciple to replace Judas. And his name 
could have been written on the foundations of the New Jerusalem. Do you realize that? His name could be emblazoned there for us to one day see. But it will not be. Okay, we're coming towards the end. Let's go to chapter 12. Verse 29 will start. And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. You see, he had just been asked by a scribe what is the most important commandment. And the second, next verse, 31, and the second is like, namely this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's none other commandment greater than these. For all the Ten Commandments can fit into these two. So we're now at the end. We're going to go into March, uh, Mark 16. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Anything here about a disciple, a male disciple? No, it's all the women. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll away us this stone from the door of the sepulcher? Those women were worried. They couldn't do it. Who's going to do that for us? They were saying on their way to the sepulcher. And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted, according to King James. They were affrighted. They were frightened out of their minds, knees knocking. And saith unto him, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified? He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where he laid him. But go your way and tell his disciples. Here's a punchline for you. Tell all his disciples. And then he names Peter by name that he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall ye see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Jesus kept at it. He kept at it. He knew the end of the story. Mary didn't know the end of the story, but Jesus did. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. That's the road to Emmaus, of course. And they went and told it unto the residue. Neither believed they them. The disciples just couldn't believe it. Even though Jesus has said over and over again in the Gospels, as recorded, after three days I will rise again. He told them over and over again. They just didn't hear it. Afterward he appeared unto the leaven as they sat at meat and upbraided them. <laughs> Jesus upbraided them. <laughs> Be nice to know what he actually said. With their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, and they shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word and signs following. He left, Acts tells us it was a company of about 500 people 
on that hillside outside Jerusalem where God had appointed them to meet him. And he went up, defying gravity, and went right to the Father's throne to minister for you and for me. A most amazing story. So what I got out of Mark, the word multitude came through over and over again. It gives us another portrait, another picture of Jesus having to cope with that. He was human. He was tired. And that's why he had to go up to the mountain and pray so often. Got up early in the morning and went to pray to the Father for strength and for understanding and for help. And then I got out of Mark, the word compassion came through over and over again. The word compassion. He had compassion on the leper. He had compassion on the blind person. He had compassion on the underprivileged. He had compassion on the poor. The word compassion. The word compassion. Let us never forget that. So today, the message would be to the little boy who wrote, the little girl who wrote the letter about her brother, for both of them, there is a God, and there's a great controversy. That's the problem. And God can only do so much at times. But there will be an end to this whole thing, and it's coming soon. There will be an end. To the Ted Turners of the world, he's missed the whole boat, hasn't he? He turned his gaze away from God to earthly things, and he asked everything the world could offer. He could have 10,000 homes. He could have 10,000 airplanes. He could have anything he wants with all of his billions of dollars. But in the end, he stands there at the end of the thousand years with all those others that have rejected Jesus. And unless something changes, he'll be lost forever. And all his millions and billions will be dust. So let's close then with the good news. Revelation 1. These verses send chills up and down my spine every time I read them. Revelation 1, there's 8, 11, and 18. Jesus repeats the concept over and over again so we don't miss it. Revelation 1, 8, 11, and then 18. I am Alpha, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Verse 11, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book. I'm so happy that the Holy Spirit influenced John to write this book. What thou seest write in a book that we have right here in our hands today and are reading it. And then starting with verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. Here's those beautiful words again. Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen. Write the things in a book. We then go in closing to Revelation 21, 1 to 3. So for those that are discouraged or have had a terrible thing happen, we need to realize there is a great controversy. There was war in heaven. Jesus knows all about war because he fought Satan up there. That cherub, covering cherub at the throne of God, he fought him, threw him out of heaven, came to this world where the great controversy is playing out. And we're all involved, whether we want to be or not, we're all involved in the great controversy. Chapter 21, verse 1 to 3. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Amen and amen. Closing song is 604.
not the hour of the Master's appearing. Yet signs all foretell that the moment is nearing. When he shall return, tis a promise most cheering. But we know not the hour he will come. Let us watch and be ready. He will come. Hallelujah, hallelujah, he will come in the clouds. His Father's bright glory, but we know not the hour. There's light for the wise who are seeking salvation whose truth in the book of the Lord's revelation. Prophecy points to the great consummation, but we know not the hour He will come. Let us watch and be ready, He will come. Hallelujah, hallelujah, come in the clouds of his Father's bright glory, but we know not the hour. We'll watch and we'll pray with our lamps trimmed and burning, we'll work and we'll Master's returning, sing and rejoice every moment discerning, but we know not the hour. He will come, let us watch and be ready, He will come, hallelujah, hallelujah. He will come in the clouds, His Father's bright glory, but we know not the hour. Eternal God, we're thankful for the scriptures that you've sent down to us from so long ago. We can have confidence, Lord, no matter what happens on this earth, we look to you and know that in the end, the good forces will win. You win in the great controversy. Oh, Lord, we want to be on that side. We want to be on your side. We want to be able one day to look up and say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. We want to look forward to the time we can see you face to face. And no dark glass between, face to face with Christ our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.